Welcome to the Wealth and Wellbeing Podcast. I'm your host, Tyler Resch. I'm joined by Ellie Luce. Ellie, hello. Hello, Tyler. Thanks for having me. Of course. Um, so today we have a very special guest. We have Dane Pavlik, who oversees our retail residential mortgages at First Foundation Bank. And he's going to talk us through what it's like to get a loan in 2020 and kind of the, the, bar, the borrower's process or the process that the borrower has to go through to get qualified and, and funded for a home purchase. So Dane, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for joining us. Absolutely. Happy to be here. All right. So I thought we could just jump right into it and talk about the current situation. Obviously, first and foremost, um, how are you doing in this uh, COVID-19 pandemic lockdown work from home situation? Everything going okay with you and your loved ones and your family? You know, overall, I mean, everything is um, going well. It's just there's been a lot of adjustment, but um, I think with everything going on, I'm making the best of it. And um, we've done a great job with work and my team and it's um, things are going well. That's good. Good to hear. Well, I think we're what, uh, about six months into it with um, perhaps not really a full end in sight. But I, you know, in terms of how you're working with clients, uh, maybe you can just explain for some of the listeners, what is it like to apply for a home loan in, in 2020, kind of taking into consideration interest rates at an all time low, um, home demand and uh, home demand is at all time high and inventory seems to be at a low. What, what's it like buying a home right now? I mean, honestly, just like everything else in 2020, um, it's crazy out there. Um, looking at interest rates, I mean, it's historically the lowest that we've seen maybe even ever at this point. Um, with the rates, um, it's there's a huge rate game out there and it's everyone's fighting for the best rate. And it's it's truly um, every loan officer and bank is out there to win as much business as they can. But when you have other banks that will one up you, I mean, that's definitely something that we're seeing. Um, in terms of demand and the home prices and everything, when it comes to sales, um, I mean, the housing market's having the best record since the mid-2000s for sales right now. Values um, in the last few months today, and even today, they're still going up. Um, I mean, with, with the sales, I mean, it's the second that a property's listed, I mean, it's in escrow within a few days. So it's definitely, um, definitely crazy out there. Um, but on top of everything, um, I mean, the biggest factor with everything going on right now is everything related to COVID-19. I mean, it's, there are so many different factors that we have to start taking into consideration that we weren't originally. Um, this is definitely something that it's been a new curveball for everyone from working from home to having to look at clients in a different way. It's having to pay attention to what's going on out there and also having no idea what's to come. So it's been, it's been interesting for sure. Yeah, I can imagine. Is it, is it true too, that a lot of people are sort of fleeing the major metropolitan cities? Are, are you seeing that? I mean, I know most of the work that we do is in some of the major metropolitan cities, but are you seeing sort of this, this trend that we're reading about of people leaving the big city like San Francisco and moving to the proverbial hills? Absolutely. I mean, um, I've actually been working on a loan for someone that is relocating from downtown San Francisco to Lake Tahoe with his family because it's going to be that's where he can raise his family outside and actually 
have them grow up in a somewhat normal environment. And I also, I'm, I'm closed one loan last month and it's going to be one next month for uh, people fleeing from Los Angeles out to Palm Springs. It's going to be a completely different lifestyle for them, but it's something that they want to be able to have a house and grow and not be stuck in a major city. Yeah, that makes sense, particularly for someone that's um, mobile and able to kind of pack up and leave. I, I guess in the work from home environment, a lot, a lot more people are mobile than ever before. Is it true, too, for like re refinances or home equity lines where people are using them to build, you know, whether they're um, guest houses or their um, home offices or even home schools in some cases, like a, like a shed or something in the yard to at least get, get uh, a little bit of normalcy around their, their home living situation. Yeah. I mean, the biggest thing was when, when all this started back in March, it's people thought it was only going to be for a month or two. And so people didn't really make an effort to update or upgrade the areas of their home or apartment or anything of what they needed at that time. So for example, I was working on my dining room table and once we realized that things were going to be going a lot longer, I bought myself a desk. I'm now in the back room and I have my own little workspace. It's people are making um, the adjustments um, in terms of overall construction right now. I mean, construction's going crazy, but also I mean, for people that are doing larger construction projects, those are probably a little bit more, I'd say, planned out before COVID. Um, but especially now, people are considering doing the addition, doing the add-on if they have the means to do it, for sure. Yeah, if you have the means to do it, you can certainly see a, 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 a longer-term future with that particular addition um, in your house. I, I think people are envisioning a, a world where maybe they don't go to the office five days a week like they used to. And, and maybe even if they do return, it's like four days with a day at home for either mm -hmm. admin or, or meetings like this. Um, very interesting. But there's a lot of things in the, in the industry that haven't changed, right? Like, like, you know, we're, we're sort of, um, uh, conflating a lot of these ideas around the, the pandemic and how things have changed, but, but the overall process, I mean, it evolves and maybe we went through a big change in 08, but maybe you can talk to the audience a little bit about just sort of the fundamentals of, of getting a loan and the process of, of, you know, going through the, 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 the home buying experience to, to get a loan. I mean, what, what are some of the, maybe starting off with just what are some of the common mistakes you see with, with borrowers today or just historically? Absolutely. I mean, just in general, if I'm handling a purchase for a client, I want to make sure that I've talked to that client ahead of time. I want to make sure that I've looked at their financials. I know that they can qualify for this amount so that when they go make their offer on a house, it's a valid offer that it's not something that we're going to find out three to four weeks into the process. Um, actually, we can't move forward because we didn't go through the vetting process. And when you have, especially in today's market, when you have um, 30 day closes and multiple offers and everything, the sellers have their pick of what they want to take for the buyer. And so when we have clients that will do all cash offers, but then they call me the next day and say they need a loan for it. And so that's gonna make the sellers mad. But looking at how to the, well, looking at the mistakes that people are making right now, um, it's not being prepared. You need to make mm -hmm. sure that you have your 
uh, we'll call it a purchase team in, in line, whether it's a loan officer, a broker, real estate agent, your CPA, your insurance agent, your banker, your wealth manager, whatever you have, making sure that everyone's on board and that everyone's ready for the process. Whether it's having your tax returns ready and prepped from your accountant, or whether it's your loan officer has that pre-approval letter, pre-qualification letter ready so that when you make that offer, that offer will go through and you will close on your house. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, and, and so if, walk us through a little bit of if you're not prepared, what's what's the impact? I mean, other than perhaps not getting the loan, but but, you know, if that's the worst case scenario, what are some of the other ways people are impacted by not being prepared? Um, I mean, if someone's not prepared, um, the biggest issue that can happen is that somebody can get into a transaction, they make their deposit and everything, and then they find out two or three weeks later that they're not qualified for this loan. So then they have to back out of a transaction and depending on contingencies and all different contractual areas of the purchase, you might be losing that deposit you made or you could be sabotaging yourself on your own deal and not realizing that you're actually the problem with the deal. Um, I mean, in terms of with everything going on right now, um, looking at people's ability to qualify, that's really important right now because banks have had to change their credit guidelines with the way that we look at how a person qualifies these days. And the biggest issue is that somebody may have been furloughed for the last three months and they're going back to work next Monday and they're thinking that they can go qualify for this loan. That's not necessarily the case. We need to make sure that you are actually going to be brought back in at the same salary level. You'll be making the same money if um, if you're commission-based, what are you making commission from? Is it something that is completely dried up and dead right now because people aren't going out of their homes? People aren't, kids aren't going to school. It's, right, you don't right. know what it yeah. is. Um, so that's definitely something that we have to now take into consideration. Yeah, that makes sense. It's almost like um, you're, you're, I mean, it sounds like you're definitely competing to against other buyers in the process. And by having a team in place to help you and kind of best position you as the as the the more experienced buyer or maybe it's not so much a function of experience but it's that you have all your ducks in, in a row and um you've 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 got all the you know information that's available i suspect there's always things that will come up during the process you know whether it's an additional it's support for additional um details about your income or uh, maybe some questions about some of your assets but the key is to get those things all sort of uh, taken care of before you get into the process or before you get into those 30 days so that you're best positioned. And it's almost like a, like a beauty pageant at that point. Absolutely. No, I completely agree with you on that. So what about on the flip side? What about for, for those? I mean, I guess the flip side, the corollary would be, you'd have all your ducks in a row. You'd ask all the questions up front. You'd have all the documentation ready, but are there, are there some other things that, that, that buyers are doing or borrowers are doing to, better position themselves to get a more favorable loan? Um, like I said before, I mean, it's, it's positioning yourself with your quote unquote purchase team, making sure that all of your people are in line, but then also, um, uh, I mean, really making sure that if you are looking to buy a home, you're doing the research on, do you want to be in this neighborhood? I mean, it's back to the basics of buying a home of, do you really want to live here? Is it something that you can honestly afford 
outside of qualifying? I mean, is it something that you're comfortable with paying? Because especially right now with, with houses hitting the market and getting into escrow within a week, um, that's something that people are making a little bit more of a rash decision of, I need to get this offer in, I need to get it submitted, and maybe it's not right for them. So really making sure that you take a step back and you know that this is where you want to be, this is what you're looking to do, and once you have kind of all those boxes checked, I mean, go for it. Go yeah. buy that house. Yeah, it does seem like the the realtor at that stage plays a pretty integral part. I can only imagine how, how quickly they're pushing people to try to get approved for a loan. And kind of to your point, if, if the whole team isn't on board, it, it could create challenges. What, what is sort of the optimal outcome for the borrower? Is it, is it, I mean, it's more than just a function of the best rate. I mean, I think the rate is sort of the commodity in the, in the whole equation, right? I mean, there's, there's other things that should be factored in for the borrower in terms of what, what would be optimal. Yeah. I mean, when it comes to like, what would be optimal for someone looking to buy a new home or even refinancing in this situation. Um, finding a bank or a lender that's right for you. Um, if you like to be having that open communication line with a loan officer, don't go to an online mortgage shop. Um, if you want to uh, maybe see if there's other options for you, um, research that. Find what bank or lender or, or brokerage shop is going to be right for you because you at the end of the day are going to be making this mortgage payment so you have to be comfortable and happy with what you're doing at the end of the day yeah that makes sense well where are some of what are some of those resources that you could point people to i mean if they if they sort of come to you and say hey dane we're, we're thinking of of buying a home in the next two years in this general area this or maybe they even have a neighborhood or maybe even they have the dream home picked out and they want to position themselves in the best light to get through the process quickly, but also to be to win that sort of proverbial beauty contest to be selected. What are some things they can do to to on their own as sort of self discovery, and, and what are some resources you can direct them to? Yeah, I mean, it's especially um, wherever you're looking. I mean, finding finding the real estate professionals that are in that area, whether it be a real estate agent. Um, I mean, if if you don't know one, your friends probably do, whether it be a friend of theirs or someone that they used just randomly, they found them from a referral. Um, looking for the real estate professionals in the area. Uh, real estate agents will be your best friend throughout this process because they're going to be the ones that help you find the home. They're going to be the ones that can give you insight into the neighborhoods and the house and what you're looking for and maybe open your eyes to something new. Um, I mean, just by educating yourself, you can look online. There's Investopedia, Wall Street Journal always has new articles about the home buying process or mortgages or refinancing. Um, really just look, look for any of those um, bigger publications. They'll have the good articles for you to kind of read up and to kind of school yourself on um, to become more knowledgeable on the whole process in general. That's uh, that's good advice for life, but also uh, good advice in this situation as well. Maybe Dane, give us a little bit of sense of um, sort of how the whole system works. I mean, I think the the conventional wisdom is that there's this like adversarial relationship between the borrower and the lender, and there's sort of, sort of tit for tat back and forth of trying to get the best rate, trying to get the best rate. Maybe there's something around speed, but. For the most part, the speed is locked into the the escrow term. So let's say it's you know thirty days. Um, why why do people come in 
to this with such a, uh, with this mindset. And it seems to me like it's, I mean, having been through the process a few times myself, it seems like it's, um, a little misguided because at the end of the day, Absolutely. the lender is trying to help the borrower, right? Absolutely. And so how does, how does it all work? I mean, how does the, how does the system work? I mean, who, how are rates even determined? Who sets them and why do they vary so, overall, so much from, with rates, from institution um, to institution? The biggest thing is that people think that because one index or someone made an announcement, announcement that rate should drop half a point today. So people think that there's that immediate reaction of, oh yeah, rates right. went down. I heard it on the news. Like the rates went down. Um, it's, there are a lot of different factors that go into what sets rates. Um, looking at the overall economy, inflation, job growth, um, all economic indicators such as retail sales, home sales, um, housing starts, earnings, the stock market, um, all of those play into where rates are going to be today in six months in a year. But, and then one kind of common misconception is that uh, people think that the Federal Reserve um, sets the mortgage rates. So they don't actually set the mortgage rates, but the adjustments that they make to their Fed rates, those will have an effect on the bank in their borrowing costs, which then will affect the bank with how they price their deposit accounts or their loans. So, I mean, there is still a business side to it where the bank has to look out for their best interest, but when the Fed or the government make a large decision like lowering a rate, that's something that in turn will affect it, but it is not a direct correlation to saying because they dropped rates, we're dropping rates. doesn't work exactly like that. Yeah, that makes sense. And, and um, there's a, there is a little bit of a misperception of the timing when rates drop, because we, we've all sort of been tuned into this, particularly over the last you know year or so. Um, the headline news is always around what the Fed is doing, but that doesn't always translate, like you said, to um, what you can expect when you apply for something like a, a home loan. So um, help us appreciate how, how do lenders make money? I mean, what's, you know, we're all sort of, we're all, we all kind of know the general mechanics of how a real estate agent makes money. And, um, you know, we have a, a pretty good sense for how others in the process make money, but, but the lender specifically, are they, are they charging fees? Are there, um, are they making money on like increased rates? Yeah, so with are there a, points? With a kind of walk us through all of that. see things like there are closing costs involved. So with any fees that someone can come in to pay for the refinance, um, this is something like a processing fee or an underwriting fee, or it's something that is um, covering the cost of the, of the bank to do the transaction. So it's all of it, it's kind of breaking down the cost of my team working on a loan and getting it funded. Um, and in terms of points, what this is, is that you um, are paying down a certain percentage of that loan amount at upfront. And so that is giving you a better interest rate. So you can pay half a point in cost and that will be associated to half, half a percent of the loan amount that you would be coming in with. So that will in turn lower your interest rate. Um, with interest rates, uh, this is just the, um, the cost of the money that you are borrowing. So you are paying that interest, which the bank is recognizing as interest income. Um, but then the other way that banks uh, can make money uh, with, especially with uh, residential loans and all different types of loans is that once they 
fund a loan, um, they can actually turn around and go sell it and make money once they sell it. And then there will be times that you may receive a notice in the mail saying that bank A now sold this loan to bank B. And so all of a sudden you're confused because you're paying someone else for your mortgage and you're confused. But this is something that happens all over the country and it's, um, It'll be big with like Fannie Mae or Freddie Mac loans. Um, so these get sold um, on the secondary market. And that's another way that banks can make money when you see that a loan has been transferred. Yeah, that makes sense. And this, this varies, Dane, from bank to bank, big and small, how the, everything is kind of structured, whether you're yeah, getting so points like for example, or whether, how um, the fees are, At First Foundation, um, our loans that we offer are no point loans. So we offer a rate that you don't, there isn't an option to buy down your loan. Um, so you won't be paying any points on our loan. Um, there are fees, but then, um, and ours are usually very minimal. Um, but looking at like, for example, about selling the loan, um, as First Foundation is a portfolio lender, we actually retain all of our residential loans that we've originated and we actually don't sell any of them. So we will always be the servicer and the owner of your loan. So that confusing part when you get a, something in the mail from yes, and that a happens from time to time you when you can um, make a meet a uh, an irate client when they find out that their loan was sold at another institution and they were told that it was going to stay with them and they they wanted to stay with that bank, but um, that's definitely something that we fortunately do not do. So happy about that yeah that seemed i bet that could make your job a little easier i think um you know there's so much distrust in financial services as it is to have that happen sort of behind the scenes um i i suspect that's a pretty abrupt notice if uh if someone's paying attention and, and really cares about those kind of things um, <laughs> probably not the best best scenario for the end client so kind of along those lines um who do you typically help in your role at first foundation and and sort of what's What's the client profile of, of folks um, that I you, mean, you typically work for with? For us, um, I handle all of the retail loans for First Foundation. So any uh, client-facing loan, I am the person that helps them out. Um, really, we have a very, very widespread net of clients um, because of our locations. Um, I mean, it's anyone from helping somebody buy their first home uh, somebody wants to upgrade their home because they have a, a new baby coming or something. So looking for a larger home or it's um, a real estate investor that is looking to refinance their existing portfolio or someone who wants to um, kind of restructure their finances and see what can they afford and do, do they have the potential to go out and buy another four unit, a duplex, uh, looking to just grow their personal wealth? And so we, um, we help out a lot of different types of clients, but um, with each client, I mean, it's the same customer service and focusing on what's best for them. Yeah, that makes sense. Well, and they, in this day and age too, they might be kind of like what we talked about at the beginning of the podcast where people are moving um, away from the city or they're looking to make an addition to the house to accommodate a homeschooling exactly. environment or a home office environment. Um, is that, you know, I mean, I, I know just personally you grew up in Orange County and, and sort of you saw 
the fact, I mean, this, this kind of statistic stands out in my head as you're talking where 30% of, of people's individual wealth is typically held in, in their real estate homes, or sorry, in their real estate holdings with the, it sort of being their primary residence as the number one asset. Um, did that give you an appreciation for this business sort of at an early age and, and maybe yeah, walk I mean, us through how you got into this business? Having grown up in Orange business. County, I've always been fascinated with real estate and kind of just growing up and seeing all the homes around and seeing the values increase over time and um, just seeing a lot of a lot of my clients that I didn't realize growing up that I was walking past their house, but now they're my client. And it's, it's something that's really cool. It's... Um, it's been really rewarding um, to be in this position because I do have the opportunity to help a client buy their dream home or work with them to grow their real estate portfolio. Um, there's been a lot of, uh, I'd say, positive feedback to myself, but also just hearing it from clients that seeing where they were four years ago when I started and seeing where they are now, it's truly been um, exciting for me to see how great they've been doing, but it's also something that, I mean, we are a bank, we're federally insured. We make sure that we do good loans, just like every other bank, hopefully. And it's something that we we love to help out our clients and the repeat clients and um, looking at the things that I've been able to do with them. Um, I mean, it's been truly eye-opening to see that I can help out these clients so much. and. I like to help people. So this has been something fun for me um, outside of just looking at it as work. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, you know, how do you, how do you um, sort of deal with the fact that there's also this sort of nefarious aspect to lending, which is more of the, the negative side of like, you know, people are, you hear these stories of people being house poor and, um, you know, underwater and, you know, two thirds of their debt is tied up in their house. How do you steer people away from those scenarios? Not that you ultimately can always in your role, but like if someone were coming to you for advice, what, what would be the advice you'd give them if they were starting off on this path of wanting to own real estate, perhaps as their primary residence, and then maybe further down um, the road as income property? I mean, looking at looking at clients when they are coming to me for a primary residence i mean there will be times that um we have to take a look at all their finances and really see is this is this a good decision for you to be doing um is it asking the client are you okay with paying ten thousand dollars a month for your mortgage like it's people that i mean it's there's crazy numbers that some people don't right. really realize that they have to be aware of and so whether it's looking at something like a primary residence where you have your mortgage payment, you have your property taxes, you have your insurance, there might be an HOA, you might have Melarus included. Like there's some things that people just don't take fully into consideration. Um, and then also on the investment side, it's knowing that is this really a property that you want to buy? And do you want to be the person that is going to have to do the upkeep? When something breaks, do you want to be the person that fix it? Do you plan on using a management, property management company? It's it's asking the questions and make sure that they're aware of what they're getting themselves into. It's not just, I can buy this property, I can rent it out for X, my mortgage payment is Y, and I make this. There's a lot of other expenses involved. So that's something that we will always 
ask and bring up to the client if they're really interested in going down this path. So if you weren't helping clients along the journey, their financial journey of home ownership and, um, <laughs> and just, uh, property ownership in general, what would oh, you be doing if man. you weren't working here? I mean, I'd probably want to be cooking somewhere. I'd want to be a chef in the culinary industry, probably with hopes to one day like open and own my own restaurant. Um, probably called great Danes or something like that. Oh yeah. That, that's clever. Well, sure. <laughs> that's amazing. Yeah. Isn't it? I think El, next time we have him as a guest, uh, hopefully we'll be out of the pandemic and we can do, uh, well, in yeah. person, we can provide treats. Yeah. Provide us some treats. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> we should taste test for your retirement career. So I'm sure you've encountered a ton of crazy things in the loan process. Is there anything, um, that you want to share with, with our audience, just sort of, um, as a buyer beware scenario or just some, some levity. Cause, um, a lot of us, I think walk away from the loan buying or the home buying process. And we feel like we were, you know, we were that one client that was, um, problematic or we, you know, like my case was so unique, but my sense is that a lot of crazy things happen and they happen frequently. Is there anything that you can share <laughs> just to sort of let people know that they're not alone? Yeah. In so, um, I would say and first and things foremost, it's, you're going to have a love hate relationship with your, uh, loan officer or banker while you're going through this. Um, it is something that at the start of the loan, you're excited and then through the process, you want to kill me. And then by the end of it, when the loan funds and you get to move into your house, you're the happiest person in the world. Um, the thing that I would say that I deal with a good amount with clients is that there are some clients that haven't done a loan in five, 10 plus years. And so because they haven't done a loan since 2008, nine, 10, they don't realize that the process has changed. And so there's a lot of clients out there that don't understand that I will be needing to ask for every tax return. I will be needing to ask for every single um, business return and profit and loss statement and understanding this or that. There will be different aspects that will change. And um, right. it's learnt, just yeah. learning how to re-educate them on the process. And it's that part's something that they don't usually want to hear. But I mean, that's just, that's where we are today. Yeah. I mean, I think what, 20 years ago, if you got a loan, um, interest rates were probably closer to like 8%. Um, but you could get through the process without nearly as much financial scrutiny. And 40 years ago, I think <laughs> interest rates were closer to like 14%. And, um, it was probably, you know, a one page document that you'd have to sign in order to, uh, you know, get, get pre-approved or get approved. And I suspect now that that's those, those one page documents are uh, a thing Pretty in the much, past. Yeah. So maybe, maybe short of a cover letter things that have changed throughout the years. Well, Dane, this has been um, really interesting. I, I think Elle and I have learned a lot and hopefully our audience has as well. Um, if people wanted to learn more about what you do, who you are and sort of the process in general, I know we touched on a few resources early on, but maybe, maybe specifically about learning more, about you and your role um, here, yeah, where wanna, can you uh, send them? Learn about they go? First Foundation and the uh, different areas of lending that we offer, specifically residential lending. Uh, feel free to check out our website. Um, there's a full page on all the information about what we offer, and then also um, information how to get a hold of us and 
uh, we're more than happy to help out and answer any questions that you have and hopefully help you out through the loan process. That sounds great. Elle, did you have anything else before we signed off? That website, just for reference, is www.firstfoundationinc.com, just in case Perfect. you needed it. Thank you for having me. All right. Otherwise, thank you so much, Dane. So that was fascinating. I, I, you know, I, I think I maybe even misspoke in the beginning of the podcast where I was alluding to the fact that the process hasn't changed, but it certainly sounds like the process has changed and it, it continues to evolve. It does. It's interesting for someone like me uh, who has not bought a home to listen to all of the things that you do have to go through and that you should keep in mind. But it also makes me feel a little better because, as he said at the end, you, if you haven't done a home loan in 10 years, a lot has changed. So it seems like unless you're doing them once a year, you're really learning the process as you go. That's a good point. Yeah. And I, I liked how he pointed out the fact that you needed, um, it's, it's a team-based approach. And I, you know, I've, I guess I've heard that in the past. But it, it makes sense. It's like anything in life. You're, you know, you surround yourself with good people, and, and good things will, will happen. But I was, um, I w- it was interesting to hear that his, his recommendation for a team, because in, you know, in his role, he could view a team as maybe being somewhat, some, somewhat competitive. Yeah, true. I mean, but it sounds like he wants, you know, his clients to have the faith all around with a good real estate agent. You know, hopefully with him as your loan officer. You know, your CPA and all of those things that kind of just help make the process easier for you. I think that just helps him delivering a better client experience overall. Have you found any resources that are, are valuable? Just, I mean, you know, you said you haven't purchased, gone through the process of purchasing a home yet. Um, you're not there in your financial journey, but, but have you found any resources that have been valuable? I think for me, it's a lot he was kind of alluding to, we got through about what are the things that, you know, really can make a difference in looking at rates and kind of seeing the importance of that and how it's structured if someone has a point or if there's what the fees are. Um, I think for me, it's just kind of looking from, you know, there's a lot of websites out there that kind of aggregate the rates, whether it's bank rate or, you know, things like that. And it kind of helps just see where you're at. so for me, it's it's kind of checking those things out and then just understanding, you know, the basics, what you need to get in order, those kind of how-tos. Like he said, there's good articles on, you know, Wall Street Journal, but really anywhere, if you're looking, you know, kind of look it up, you can find good articles that just tell you kind of how to get your ducks in a row prior. Yeah, it does. It does. Um, it seems like, you know, it's it can be very complicated, but at the end of the day, it's really just following sort of the basics of, of understanding what the lender's intent is and how it aligns with with your intentions and just the different ways of, of um, you know getting through the process um, how people make money in the process and ultimately what your optimal outcome is and in this case you know I think Dane was alluding to the fact that it's it's timing and rate and service I mean service is something that you don't really think of but if you know if your loan got sold after going through this whole process and you sort of had to reintroduce yourself to a financial institution for various reasons that that could be uh, that could be troubling or at least frustrating it's, it's and a little scary i mean you you tend to pick a bank and i think something that i know we pride ourselves on is that we develop a relationship and we're a partner and so if you're going in with that same emotion and that same trust to then get you know the envelope from abc bank and you're like hey what happened <laughs> it's a little confusing and i think it's, you know, you want to make sure your your money is safe and in this regard, your home is safe. 
Yeah, agreed. Well, so did you have fun? Was it a fun experience with this podcast? I think this is a very fun experience, and I think Jane was a great guest where he is uh, very knowledgeable, but, you know, easy to understand for sometime soon home first home first time home buyers like me and someone like you that's that's purchased homes before yeah i i agree he was a great guest and um, i look forward to doing this again soon we will be back well that'll conclude this wealth and well-being podcast uh, special thanks to dane pavlik for educating us on the process of um, what it's like to buy a home and get a loan in 2020